0: There are ways in which people that are in high-control groups and cults are able to be persuasive, right? But that doesn't mean that their targets are just Mm weak-willed, can't think for themselves, don't stand for anything.
1: Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, or to tell your story, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Aldo B. Martin. And today we have a special guest um, on the podcast today. This is a person that I've known for many, many years, and I don't want to say too much. I'm going to allow her to uh, speak more about herself, but what makes this a special interview is that this isn't somebody that was just in a cult. This isn't just somebody that was in the same cult that I was in. This is actually a friend of mine. And we've been friends now for about, uh, what, what are we going, 2000, 1999? When did you arrive? It was 2000, no? 2000. So we're going on 20, we're 21 years, going on 22 and and little did I know that when I when I first met her, that that was going to be the guest, the first guest on the Reclamation Podcast as we reflect on this time in the church. So I want to introduce the audience to Dr. Michelle Melton. Dr. Melton, please uh let everybody know a little bit about yourself so that they can get familiar. All right. Well,
0: thank you for the introduction and the invitation. And I just got to pause for a moment before talking about myself and just acknowledge, like, it has been two decades.
1: It's been two. You didn't didn't have to say that part. You could have just went with 21 years. You did not have to say
0: that. I feel that the decades is important because to me, that is wisdom. That is connection. That is, like, secure attachment. And I know there were some years that we didn't have a lot of connection. I just got to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Although that, you're the one that I, I believe I give credit to maintaining connection um, as I've moved around uh, from many different States over the years. So it's, it's, I think that just speaks to you and your character. So I just want to give you some flowers in that regard as well.
1: Thank you. I I, I didn't mean to, to start laughing, but uh, cousin Eddie, she's not going to like this part, but she's moved around, you know, in, 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 mm-hmm through different time zones of the country. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and currently she lives in can I say the city or no? You you can say the city, that's okay. fine. So she lives in in uh in Phoenix, mm-hmm. right? Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> and I I don't know what was it 10 years ago, 12 years ago that you moved there?
0: Oh man, no sir. that's uh <clears throat> 16 years ago.
2: Wow. See, really? 16 okay. years ago okay. I first moved okay.
0: out here.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. But there was a point where you went back to Philly, though, no?
0: Then I went to Philly okay. for a year
1: Okay. Okay. in okay.
0: 2008. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: got it. Okay. So anytime she said she would just mention Phoenix, I would just go, by the time <laughs> I get to Phoenix. For those who don't know the song, that's an Isaac <laughs> Hayes song. And she didn't know the song. Didn't. She didn't know the song.
2: This lady, no idea. She,
1: she introduced me to the Otis Redding version of A Change Gonna Come.
2: <laughs>
1: so pardon me for assuming someone that knew the Otis Redding version of A Change Gonna Come would know the Isaac Hayes classic. but And it would always be a conversation. And I wouldn't know that I said it the first time. So she would <laughs> say it like a million times. And I would sing the song again as if it's the first time. And she's like, she's like, she's like, um, I, I don't know that song. Am I, how do you? And I would just get into this tirade. So my, which I just did now.
2: My bad. That
0: is all right. But every time, every time we would connect, he would just be like, yo, shells every time i'm like oh here we go that would be that's his hello that is his greeting for like all conversations over 21
1: years (laughs) no you're you're right there's there's been gaps in between but i feel like the type of friendship that we've had was just one of these where you just pick up where you left off and i i feel very confident that if for whatever reason uh this is the last time that we speak for another five years. Mm-hmm. I feel very confident that in that five years, we'll just pick up where we left off. And I think that's what makes it that's what makes it special, that's what makes it notable. And that's mm-hmm. not always the case, right? It's so it's true. not it's not always the case. So, Dr. Melton, what um what do you specialize in? Right? That's what so you know the the name doctor gets thrown around, but we want to we want to specify for everybody. What what kind of doctor are you? What do you specialize in?
0: Yes, wonderful question. So I'm a clinical psychologist. <laughs> My specialty is working with adults and older adults. Um, I'm generally described as a generalist, meaning that I work with a range of mental health concerns and issues. So depression, anxiety, uh, serious mental illness, which is, includes, you know, um, schizophrenia and psychotic disorders, severe PTSD, personality disorders, with a number of different uh, populations. So uh, working in inpatient and outpatient with veterans, with uh, community mental health. Uh, One particular specialty that I've developed within my practice, is working with uh, people that are experiencing race-based stress. So dealing with the impact of racism, um, discrimination, and bigotry. On top is that
1: a, is that a has that been like a new uh, thing like um like a new i guess a new wing or a new uh, mm-hmm. uh, side of your practice?
0: um it's been that's an interesting question. I can't say that it's new because I've always had a focus, yeah in terms of addressing you know unique experiences of from the bipoc community right um but it it's been over the course of my career over the course of um, the work that I do that I've developed this particular way of understanding the experience, researching the experience, and being able to intervene and help in addressing the experience. Um, so it's not new, but I've just gotten better at helping
1: people through it. I understand. And, and would you, and also, I guess when I say new, has that been, cause you know, in 2021, um, a lot of things that were not specified, mm-hmm. Fifteen years ago or specified now. Right. Like yes. like mental health wasn't really a thing, you know, 15 years ago. Right. And then. Right. And, and then the term that under you...
0: insurance, still a lot of stigma mm-hmm. meant that you were crazy. You need mm-hmm. to be locked up mm-hmm.
1: like all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then the term that you mentioned earlier, did you say racial stress, racial duress? What, what was that? Mm mm-hmm
0: race-based stress
1: race-based stress so okay Mm -hmm. so is that like a is that a fairly new term that's what i'm asking uh
0: yes and no it's it's no in the sense that this is not new to psychology it's been growing in the literature especially since i would say 2015 with the uh, black lives matter movement the hands up don't shoot matter uh movement and it's becoming more of an, an entrance in, in advocacy with mental health professionals, particularly BIPOC mental health professionals say, look, this is, this is a real experience, and we need to do better at making mental health accessible, not just in terms of making sure it's covered in insurance, that people can get in the door, but then also engaging in a way of healing that is culturally relevant. So this work in, in psychology in particular has been around for decades right? It's just now becoming into pop culture lingo and the attention around mental health and wellness, right? Those are big buzzwords, trendy words right now, Yeah. Um, but it's not new. So I'm glad that, you know, uh, the stigma of mental health is being um, challenged in these ways, Um, but it's it's not new to me. And I recognize it as new (laughs) in terms of a larger conversation,
1: I understand. I understand. And and I like how you use the term new a lot because as we're getting into this conversation of, of cults, uh cousin Eddie has not been involved in a cult. Matter of fact, he he's he's never been involved in church, with the exception of that one time when he was eight. Mm-hmm. Is that right, cousin Eddie? Correct. <laughs> he went for a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 cousin Eddie and I, we've been friends now for um Uh, Going on 20 years, and during the time that we've known each other, he had no idea that I was uh, involved in a church at all. Uh, Is that right? No, I had no idea. Right? No idea Mm. whatsoever. So when I first told him about it, um, Eddie, if you could please tell uh, uh, Dr. Melton, what was your reaction when you found out that, A, I wanted to do a podcast on what it's like to be in a cult and leave a cult, and B, that I was actually in a cult Mm -hmm. what was your reaction to that
2: um i would say that i was shocked and it was simply for the fact that um you have a preconceived notion of what a person is like knowing them Mm -hmm. so knowing knowing aldo i had always seen him as such a strong presence that uh didn't take crap from anybody stood up for himself Mm -hmm. no matter what like spoke his mind
1: I'm only five like, foot seven. Everybody, I just want to let everybody know that.
2: But but you but you had this <laughs> this this like you you had a you had a fearlessness about you that wasn't um, that wasn't um, juvenile. You had a fearlessness about you that you were going to back up what you meant, you know what you said, and and you meant it. Um, so it was strange to me. I, I I mean that, it, there's that a lot.
1: such a person
2: can be involved in a cult. Well, there's a, and there's a lot to unpack because that because that's a really yeah. presumptuous thing for me to say too, right? Like it's yeah. oh, I would have never expected that from you. It's like well, that's that's me assuming that you were weak at some point, and maybe that's really not the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. no,
1: you know that's that's staying on that staying on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very glad you said that because here we also have Dr. Melton with us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whose name. Her earned name is Dr. Melton, Mm -hmm. a psychologist, Mm -hmm. nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And if we were to take a profile, like as an American society, if we were to take a profile of who we thought was a typical cult member, we would not assume that it's somebody with a PhD or who would eventually get a PhD. We wouldn't assume it would be a person like you said, who doesn't take crap for anybody and stands up for himself or Mm -hmm. herself, right? These are not, the typical people that you would think are in a cult, and I think it's important for us to really unpack that and get into that conversation because, yeah. even as we speak today, right now, this moment, and even tomorrow, there are a lot of young people, in particular, that will be subject to becoming part of a cult without them even knowing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like they will yeah. be preyed upon. I'm sorry, Dr. Melson, look like you want to say something.
0: Well, I was just going to add uh, what I was thinking when Cousin Eddie was sharing that in terms of, you know, this uh, presumption to assume like you wouldn't think that this person who you see as, you know, being um, able to stand up for himself or speak for himself doesn't seem to be easily slaved That 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 um, perspective that that uh, I'm just going to use it, stereotype. Mm -hmm. is is so common like I had it for myself while Mm -hmm. I was in you know what I mean which made it very difficult to um deal with especially years after leaving you know the group that I didn't want to talk to anybody about it It was like the part of my life that I'm just going to that you you did and not that you, Dr. About,
1: Melton. You didn't want to talk to anybody that about that. As
0: this. Dr. Melton, right? Yeah. Not becoming, but as Dr. <clears throat> Melton. Yeah. Like we don't need to talk about that because that 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 stereotype was so internalized. Like, yeah. oh, if I admit this, then people will see that I was a weak person, and you begin to mm-hmm. believe in, and buy into that. Yeah. And you know, to to reference a little bit of research here, like uh, particularly like shame research, mm-hmm. like that that story that I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to keep it hidden because it's you know. There's shame attached to it yeah. is what really will keep you stuck and not growing from experiences and learning more about yourself and what that was really like, because it doesn't mean that you're weak, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not the, the 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 process of what happens. Like I, I agree that there are ways in which people that are in high control groups and cults are able to be persuasive, right? But that doesn't mean that their targets are just weak-willed, mm-hmm. can't think for themselves, don't stand for anything, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like so well, it's it's really a technique that I'd rather highlight than the character of the person that gets drawn in because we mm-hmm. all get drawn into different things.
1: I did have a set of questions I wanted to ask, but yeah. but I'm curious though. You you just mentioned that you kept this and you kept this this secret inside, mm-hmm. right? Even as you became a doctor and 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 your life thereafter. What made you finally, I guess? Come to grips with it or, yeah. or, or become unprivate with it. I don't want to say right. you became public with it, but unprivate. Right. right if right. there's such a word.
0: I would love to tell you that it happened where I was like, you know what? It's time for me to heal and I'm going to do it. Like it didn't happen like that. What happened was, and this is maybe about five years ago. All right. So I'm so not talking, a young psychologist. Recent. I'm not a, yeah, this recent. is recent. Like I'm not right. an early career psychologist. Like I've been doing this for a minute. Mm -hmm. So five years ago, fully in my profession, understanding, you know, a lot of different psychological principles and and relationships and things like that. But I was watching a documentary on HBO called Going Clear about the uh, Scientology Mm -hmm. um, church and movement. And it Mm -hmm. was interviewing people who left Scientology. Mm -hmm. And I remember like one of the the people that they were interviewing and they were doing to talk about what it was like. And she began to speak about, you know, I had so much fear and shame to tell anybody about what my experience was. And that, in that moment, it was so triggering for me. It's like, oh, my gosh, she named it. I feel seen. And, oh, my gosh, what is this stuff that she's opening up? To the point where I was like, I went to because I, I had a therapist at that point in my life because every, I think every psychologist, every therapist needs to have a therapist. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I went to her and I was like, this is what just came up.
1: You know, and I'm recognizing. Can, can, if I can pause real, real quick, Dr. Melton. Yeah. So it's when I hear that the therapist has a therapist, like that sounds. It sounds like it, it, commonsensical. Like like that sounds logical, right? But you would have never assumed that, you know? Like 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 my barber has a barber. What? <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, of course he does. So yeah, of course the therapist has a therapist, and I think that's a powerful thing for people mm-hmm. to understand that even the people that give help get help. And I think that's uh, that's a very powerful thing, but I'm sorry. Continue.
0: Thank you for acknowledging that. Um, so I went to her and I was like, this is what's coming up for me. And I had to do some, it's uh, EMDR, which is a, uh, used often for processing trauma. So first time I was really allowing myself to acknowledge that this, these were some trauma experiences, right? And so seeing even where my bias got in the way of, of, understanding who I was, what I went through, how it's affecting me now. This this stigma of when I'm a psychologist, I'm supposed to be able to help people. That means I need to be like on mm-hmm. that pedestal. So yeah. breaking that yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then also this idea of trauma does not is not reserved for people that have experienced combat or a sexual assault sure. or natural disasters, right? Like trauma is not just confined in the criteria of the diagnostic manual. But that is a lived experience, and it can Mm -hmm. happen in ways that um, are not often sensationalized.
1: So to anybody, anywhere, any way.
0: Yep. So trauma is an experience that you have that you find yourself feeling um, a lot of negative emotion tied to it, that it feels sudden outside of your control, and it's usually like terror that's part of it. So that can be terror, like that feeling of terror could uh, can be a part of it. So that can be like relationship trauma and betrayal, institutional betrayal, in addition to the quote unquote classic, you know, sort of uh, experiences that we usually associate as traumatic. Mm-hmm. But when you have um, being a part of a cult or a high control group, that the use of shame, the use of, of the threat of being ostracized, the threat of being considered less than is so powerful that yeah. it can still, people can still have that experience. And so five years ago, it's like, all right, we got we to gotta work through this. We got to face this because, oh, my goodness, I can see, like, reflecting back, I can see the places where it really has impacted wow. my life in ways that wow. um, have not led to me living my valued life, right? Mm-hmm. But then also having an understanding of it now, it's like, okay, now I can use this as a way to really have empathy um, yeah. And I, yeah. just a side note, I feel like right now in this moment in our lived experience, empathy is what is needed when I hear about, you know, a rally that's being uh, taking place in D.C. I think it's tomorrow when I hear about, you know, people concerned about like QAnon and like all of these different, like empathy is, I think, a starting point. That's my soapbox. So I'm gonna bring it back to y'all <laughs> in this
2: conversation. What you just described, I'm I'm curious if I'm correct in this. What you just described about dealing with that with your therapist, mm-hmm. what you just described was exactly what I was picturing. What your specific avenue of profession is mm-hmm. in what mm-hmm. you described. I'm sorry. Was it was it black based fear? Is that what you said? No, race based. Race based trauma. Sorry,
1: mm-hmm. excuse me. That just made it sound
2: that much worse. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Race, but it but that's when you when you said when you said terror, mm-hmm. um it it made me think like as you were explaining what your profession was, I was like in my head, I was thinking, I gotta believe that this has existed for hundreds of years, possibly, maybe even prior to that, but it's now just being spoken about. So it yeah. was just it's yeah. it's interesting what you were what you were describing was exactly what I pictured your avenue was for race based.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's acknowledging the unique experience. It's
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, making valid and valued the experience of people that are in high control groups and cults, mm-hmm. and those people that want to leave. Like it's it's the process of of um, what's the word I'm looking for like deprogramming that happens. Mm -hmm. So there are psychologists that specialize specifically in deprogramming, right? Um, From uh, people who are trying to heal from, make sense of who they are when they have left that high control group or the cult.
1: And that was a perfect segue because I I really want the audience to kind of get into, how did you even get involved in that? And, and, Dr. Melton and I were part of a group that was a a Christian church. Mm-hmm. I, I just, we'll, we'll start with that. It was a Christian church. It was non-denominational, mm-hmm. which we learned is a denomination in itself. <laughs> but it was non-denominational, and it just started off as very benign people that just be- uh, 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 believed in the Bible and loved God. That's what, that's what the premise was. Am I missing mm-hmm. anything, Dr. Melton? Am I oversimplifying it?
0: Um, I think that's part of the foundation uh, that yep. it did start. The only true church.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. That was yeah. a part of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail, but part of, of the, the dogma, if you will, um, that made it, made I always call it like a pseudo cult. And that's just my language, how I, how I understood it, what fits for me, um, was I think that it brought in like purity culture which wasn't just this church, right? Purity culture is a whole nother conversation, but that was there. Um, okay. it, it, it really created a us in them worldview.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Us versus them worldview. You just mentioned two terms that I want to get back to later on and uh, yeah. maybe we can unpack those, uh, pseudo cult and, and purity culture. So I definitely want to underline those and get back to it. But <laughs> let's, uh, let's start here. Yeah. All right. When did you join and why?
0: My spiritual birthday was February (laughs) 2001.
1: And what does that mean? What does that mean? Spiritual birthday. Uh, By by the way, Cousin Eddie, if if there's anything here that doesn't make sense to you, please, (laughs) please jump in. Because she's going to say a lot of things that I already Mm -hmm. know.
2: Mm -hmm. Everything's everything's been explained so far, so I I get it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Cool. Got it. All right. So, spiritual right,
0: birthday is when you were baptized into the one true church, yeah. And you got to that point by studying the Bible. And I forget there were like eight studies or something that you had to go through mm-hmm. um, to get to the point where they asked you, "Are you ready to commit your life to Jesus and be a disciple and to be a mm-hmm. member of this church?" Mm-hmm. And February 2001, that was a yes. Now, how I got there. So I was a freshman um, at a predominantly white institution. I come from Detroit. Um, where, world, where,
1: where were we? Let the people know. Where were we? What city we were, were
0: in we? in New York City. Norman
1: City. Now, Dr. Melton is being very modest. She does not want to disclose the university <laughs> that she was at, but I just want the uh, the the audience to know that it was a university that I did not get into. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. It was one of the top universities in the United States. So <laughs> it was. She was she was a very smart person way back then. Thank too. you. Go on. Thank I'm you, sorry. Thank you.
0: So. Um, Going from Detroit to New York, and the reason that I wanted to go to New York is because I loved the movie You've Got Mail, and I was like, "That's going to be my life, <laughs> and I'm going to fall in love and live on the Upper West Side." That was the main reason. Otherwise, all my is, life is, is that Meg break, Ryan.
1: Is that that's a Meg, Meg Ryan? Movie? Ryan and man. I'm trying Yo, to they, tell you, listen, they had a monopoly on those movies, man. They did, they and it did. influenced a young lady from the deep. From right. Detroit, Michigan. I,
0: let me tell you, because since seventh grade, I was going to Hampton University. Like, that was where I wanted to go. HBCU. In your mind. In your mind. Like, that was,
1: that's what you had made up.
0: I applied. I got yeah. in. Got scholarships. Yeah. And then one day, walking down the hall of my high school, I see a, a poster for New York University. And I was like, oh. So I get there, right? And it's a complete culture shot. Um, the city itself, right? I'm on my own in the city. And I'm also... One of the only chocolate chips in the batter, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay. And so, with with just my growing up and community that I had, I was looking for my black community.
1: While I you were a student orchestra. in New York, while
0: I was a student, my freshman year, first semester, I was. I also played the violin. I was in the um, university orchestra, and that's where I met.
1: The conversation with Dr. Melton continues next time on The Reclamation.
0: Community, just like that.
2: Immediate feeling of acceptance and, and yes. the, the, the feeling of being lost goes away very quickly.
0: That's what got me hooked, right? Mm-hmm.
1: It, it, it awakened something that you were lacking, right? It
0: met a need.
1: For more info on The Reclamation podcast or to tell your story, follow me on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at Aldo B. Martin.